Hey, I'm Rob Tigan. And I'm Joanna Tigan. Rob and I have been married over 30 years and share an addiction to coffee, bookstores, and Christmas music. We often debate how many dogs are enough and who should win the voice every season. We're a neat freak married to a not-so-neat freak, an explorer to a homebody, and an introvert to a people person. But we do agree that our vows are for always, children are a gift, and prayer is powerful. Our hope through this podcast is that we can walk with you in caring for the soul of your family. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the Growing Home Together podcast. Uh, Joanna and I have five kids between the ages of 12 and 29, and over the last few months, each of them have been asking some significant questions about their money and their future. Our oldest is wondering how their health insurance will cover a second pregnancy, And our middle daughter is wondering if she'll find a good job and an affordable apartment after she graduates next month. And our youngest is hoping he can sell his old video games for enough money to buy the new video game that he's had his eye on for some time. Each of our kids is at a different age and stage, but they each have questions about money that are significant to their life and how they're moving forward. Right. And as we listen to their questions, Rob and I are asking ourselves if as their parents, we've prepared them to find answers. You know, do they understand how today's decisions might affect tomorrow? And do they know the spiritual implications for how they relate with their money? Today's guest puts it so well. Uh, He says, get the money thing wrong and it can shipwreck your life get the money thing right, and it can contribute mightily to a life of great joy and impact. We all want our kids to get the money thing right. So we are excited to dig into this topic with today's guest, Matt Bell. Yes, Matt is the managing editor at Sound Mind Investing. He's an author and speaker, and he's the dad of three kids. Matt has a powerful testimony of both his faith and his finances, and he's passionate to help others manage money well. So thank you for joining us on the program today, Matt. Rob and Joanna, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, well, Matt, Rob and I, we're thrilled to get a copy of your new book. Uh, It's called Trusted, Preparing Your Kids for a Lifetime of God-Honoring Money Management. And boy, this is exactly the kind of book that every young couple and young family can use for sure. So before we jump in, Could you share with us the backstory of the book and why you personally became dedicated to helping people manage their money well? Yeah, there's really three motivating reasons for this book and this topic. I mean, number one, I made so many mistakes with money when I was younger, and I would love to spare people, if I can, some of the trouble that I went through. I think there, you know, sometimes people need to learn things the hard way. I I seem to have a knack for that, uh, needing to learn things the hard way. But I think that it's possible to learn about money without quite so much pain that I experienced. Another motivating reason for this book on this topic is that there's just so much at stake here. You know, it isn't that if we don't teach our kids about money, they won't learn. They will learn, but they'll learn from our culture. And and the culture is a very strong point of view about money, material things that that is often at, at odds with what, what God's word teaches on those subjects. And the third reason is is maybe a little bit more hopeful, and that is I just think there's so much incredible potential of getting a young person on the right path with money at an early age. I mean, I just I just love to think about 
how God could multiply the impact of a of a young person that that gets the money thing right in so many ways. You, know, you think think about generosity. I mean, how how the tangible investments and in causes that God cares about over a young person's lifetime, the impact that could have, but also the impact of that child's heart on all of her relationships and and the joy she will have in her life of living generously there's just there's just so much good that can come from getting kids on a good path with money early in life i i love that well hey can you just tell us a little bit about the shift that you experienced in your own life with your own perspective about money because there was a pretty big shift right <laughs> there was yeah i grew up my, my dad was jewish my mom was catholic um we didn't go to church growing up and so I didn't have that as as part of my growing up experience. And and then when I was in my mid-20s, an uncle passed away and left me an inheritance, a completely unexpected gift of $60,000, which seemed like all the money in the world to me. And I had good intentions with that money. I thought, you know, it's a it's this incredible opportunity. So I created my dream job. I, I love to golf and I love to travel. I created a newsletter that, that gave me an excuse to go play some great golf courses around <laughs> the world. And uh, and it really was a lot of fun. But but one thing it was not is it was not profitable. In fact, it was really bleeding money. And I was just so acclimated to the life I was living and so blind to what was happening with the money that when the actual money ran out, I kept funding that that life on credit cards to the point where two years after receiving this $60,000 gift, I found myself with $20,000 of credit card debt. And that was very humbling. That was depressing, that was discouraging. I moved home with my parents for a short time. I'm thankful for the safety net they provided, but it was it was a very humbling time. I just thought, wow, I've really squandered this incredible opportunity. But it was at that time that a friend from college reached out. He had become a Christian after I graduated and moved away. And he wanted to share his faith with me, and I was somewhat receptive. I, I thought everything I've tried hasn't worked out too well, so I'll, I'll give this a listen. Um, but, I, but I really did earnestly study Scripture, and I, and I started going to church, and, and that set me on a path of finally accepting Christ as my Lord and Savior at age 29. And that would have been plenty to come out of that experience, right? That would have been plenty. But, but it also gave me a real interest in figuring this whole money thing out. And, and eventually, after I started getting on a little bit of a better track with money, I, I just really loved the idea of helping others. And so I started serving in ministry, and, and I've been doing something related to biblical money management ever since. Yeah, that is, that is so great. I love that. So, you know, my whole career, I've worked in Christian publishing, so I love a great book title. So can you explain the title of your book and why it's called Trusted? Sure. Yeah, it comes from Luke 16, 10. Uh, whoever is trustworthy uh, with very little will be trustworthy with much. And, and and it actually really goes back to the very first parenting workshop that my wife Jude and I ever took part in. She was pregnant with our first child, Jonathan. And we went to this great parenting workshop at our church in Chicago, where we were living at the time. The associate pastor, a guy named Keith, and his wife, who goes by the nickname of CAG, or her real name is Caroline, they, they taught this great workshop where they used the metaphor of a funnel. And they said, you know, when kids are super young, 
the funnel is really tight. We're making all the decisions for them, right? What they're going to wear, what they're going to eat, everything we, we decide for them. But then as they get older, we would be wise to teach them very intentionally and keep opening the funnel wider and wider, giving them more and more responsibility as they prove themselves trustworthy. And that that was that made a lot of sense. And like I said, it had the nice, uh, you know, it wasn't coincidental, but it had the nice uh, fact of also being biblical, because like I said, Luke 16.10 basically teaches that same principle, as is the parable of the talents, where the two servants who were trustworthy and what had been entrusted to them were then strongly affirmed by the master, and then they were entrusted with more responsibility. And so that's that's really the framework of the whole book, is teach our kids little by little, age-appropriate lessons, and as they grow, we would be wise to open that funnel up wider and wider and trust them with more and more responsibility. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I like that idea of a funnel. That's really helpful. You know, I think when it comes to teaching our kids about money, we can just kind of focus on kind of the basics, like, hey, you should avoid debt and grow a savings account and put your dollar in the offering plate on Sunday morning. But you really want us to take hold of a much bigger vision than just our lifestyle habits, right? So what is it about teaching kids about money that is so significant? Yeah, that's such a great question because that's right. We can we can make the mistake really of teaching the habits without helping them connect to the why and to God's heart behind all that he teaches. You know, God is so gracious in giving us so much instruction in his word on this very practical thing of money uh, because he knew what a spiritual issue ultimately money is. And so in the book, I, I talk about um, heart, head, and hands, that that we want their their hearts filled with a worldview that's oriented toward Christ. We want them to, to be compassionate. We want them to love God above anything or anyone else. We want them to love other people. We want their worldview to be that sort of heart orientation. Then the head is the knowledge. So we want them, okay, the Bible says in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. So we
sides of money. It's the non-calculator sides of money. It's the spiritual dimension of money because how we use money is, is a direct reflection of what we believe spiritually. You know, if we, if we don't believe in God and, and then you can get into all kinds of trouble with money chasing after things that you're using to replace God with, you know, as if that's possible. But if you do have faith, then then it just, what I have found in my own life is it's helped me over the years. I'm still learning, still growing. We're all in process, but it's helped me hold the things of this world with an open hand of gratitude, looking to them. Yes, take some enjoyment from the things that we can avail ourselves of in this world, but they're not it in an ultimate sense. You know, God is the source of our of our deepest affections and longings. And so we're to to use the resources he's given us with for, for his purposes and according to his principles, but, but we're not to allow money and material things to replace our relationship with him. Yeah, that's, that's uh, powerful. Because I think, you know, Joanna and I have discovered that over the years because we've had seasons in our, our marriage where we've had, you know, little, and then we've had seasons where we've had more prosperity. And in both times, God challenges us and we have to evaluate our hearts. You know, when we have little, we have to rely on him in certain ways and find contentment because um, it's very easy when you have little to to look at others and, and see why do they have more. And when we've had more plentiful times, maybe we could go ahead and, and just grab money to fix the dishwasher, put a new countertop on the in the kitchen or something. But then we have to ask God, is that how you want us to spend our money? Is that where we should put it? You know, so you're right. Money is always gauging our hearts, whether we have a little or, or a lot. Yeah, I was just going to say a big amen to that for one thing. And and one of, one of the primary mentors around this topic of money in my life, a gentleman named Dick Towner, who was the head of a ministry called Good Sense. Dick likes to talk about God's math for one thing, that some things that just don't make sense from a from a worldly perspective or a calculator perspective, they make all the sense in the world from a from a, a biblical perspective. And um, you know, we're we're always trusting in His provision because we're not promised tomorrow. Um, and so every 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 financial decision really is a spiritual decision. That's that's you know, you look at buying a car; it seems so practical, but really, like you were saying, we should be inviting God into the process. We should be leaning on His his wisdom in making all manner of financial decisions. Wow. Can you just say that one more time? That was quite a statement. I want to make sure I don't lose it. Every financial decision is a spiritual decision. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Every, yeah. Every, every financial decision truly is a spiritual decision because if we're stewards of God's resources, if God really does own everything and he does, and he's simply temporarily entrusted a portion of his resources to our care, then we're his managers, we're his stewards. And and every decision we make with money shouldn't be made casually. It should be made in consultation with him through prayer. It should be made based on our knowledge of, of God's word and what it teaches about money so that informs our decisions. Every every financial decision, we should stop and say, what what would a steward of God's resources do in a situation like this? Yeah, and that's why... I guess your your book and what you're talking about is so important because if if that's true, which I, I agree it is, then how we teach our children about money has implications for the rest of their lives too. 
Yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, if we can, you know, and that's where, you know, to one of your earlier questions, it's so important to teach that holistic perspective that there's a lot of things to learn about money, you know, Roth IRA versus traditional IRA, and there's all kinds of kind of complicated financial decisions, but we can't make those decisions in a vacuum. They have to be made thoughtfully as followers of Christ. You know, our, our identity drives our behavior. And so it would be wise for us to sometimes, as much as the world, the consumer culture, you know, treats us as consumers, which is really contrary to to a biblical worldview, we should stop every now and then and remind ourselves that, that, hey, we're we're managing God's resources here. Let's not take these decisions too lightly. Yeah, I think one of the things, it's very easy, like you said, because money is kind of an indicator of where our hearts are at, to not realize how sometimes the the world and that consumer culture kind of bleeds into our families. And you had made a statement that we are not here as parents to make their lives easier, but to make their lives better. And that's, you know, that's a powerful statement, but I realized, you know, growing up when I did in the, the American dream, kind of the thick of that culture, I was kind of taught the two are the same, you know, that Mm. to make our kids life better was to make it easier, but that's Mm. not necessarily biblical, you know, the God's idea. But I think that just kind of slowly crept into my, my thinking just because that's what the, where the culture that I grew up in was. Yeah, I think that's a really difficult thing for for most of us parents. One of the one of the difficult roles for us to play is the gatekeeper role. So in the book I talk about these three roles, the gatekeeper, the teacher, and the role model. And the gatekeeper is the one that it's not a lot of fun. It's the one that has to say no sometimes and 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 yes, have that mindset that that our lives are maybe we're not going to look like we're making our lives easier or more enjoyable for our kids in the moment, but it really is about making their lives better because we're pointing them down a good productive path. And so we have to step up and as the title of a great book says, be the parent and and set those ground rules of screen time and social media rules and regulations and, and, and all those other sort of parameters that may not feel really pleasant at the time. And yet it's so important for our our kids' long-term future. Yeah, that kind of leads to something I was really hoping to get your thoughts on. Our youngest daughter will be heading to college in the fall, so that's going to bring all of the tuition and room and board expenses our way. And then our oldest daughter and her husband just had their first baby, so they're sitting there for the first time with all these new responsibilities and expenses. And you know, as parents, it can be hard to know when you're looking at your kids' And the things in front of them, you know, what is good and appropriate when it comes to helping them out financially? Because sometimes helping isn't helping, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like with kids with college, I mean, there are so many really practical and really important discussions to have there about the cost and, and helping them. You know, one of the things that's really been impressed upon me by some wise teachers is the importance of having our kids live in the real world. And so... It's appropriate to have conversations with our kids as they're getting to be closer and closer to college age, even back middle school, talk about the realities of the cost of college, talk about the differences between the cost of in-state versus out-of-state, private versus public, talk about, hey, is this the career path you feel God leading you to? Well, what's a realistic income that that may come from that 
And what would that look like if you had to borrow money? I mean, I would try to orient everything possible against borrowing, but if borrowing became a necessity, what will that look like with that career, with that assumed salary? How will that fit into a budget when you get out of college? Have them see in black and white what that may translate into so that they can own the decisions being made. Maybe this particular school, that price tag, it just isn't going to make sense. And maybe it is. There's a huge faith element there, but there's also a huge practicality to it as well. Right. Yeah. You're making me think of a young couple that we know that had to base their housing decision to work around the student debt that they had to pay off. I mean, those were long-term, you know, daily effects of choices made when they were young. So I totally get what you're saying. But if we were going to bring that down, you know, yes, our, our youngest daughter's in college, but, you know, we have our younger guy. And when they were little, we did give each of the kids an allowance. So the stakes are much lower if they blow their allowance than if they blow their college fund. But um, (laughs) how should we approach that whole area of allowance? Is there any advice or guidelines for how to make that a really helpful tool for our kids? Sure. It is a surprisingly contentious issue among parents. Yeah. It's it, it's interesting to wade into that because some parents have very strong opinions about allowances. Some people say, you know, that word should never be spoken in your household. You know, in the real world, people aren't just going to give your kids money. And so there are different ways to do allowances. I'll just share two ideas here and then we'll talk about kind of the big picture of allowances. So so in our household, my wife Jude and I, we we decided that just because they're part of the family we will give a small allowance to each of our kids starting when they were in kindergarten and up to age 12. And so it was basically grade in school plus one. So kindergarten, you're getting a dollar a week, that kind of thing. So it was enough money to start to do some things with money, start to, you know, divide it up. We're, we're going to give the first portion. We're going to save a portion. Then we're going to think about spending wisely that what remains some of those, those basic money management habits that are so important to instill in kids at a young age. But it wasn't so much money that they could do anything with it. They had, if they wanted something that cost really just about any amount, they had to work extra jobs to earn more for those sorts of things. So that was a good decision for our family that worked well for our family. Um, at age 12, it went away. They, they were old enough at that point to earn more money, whether working for us around the house, doing bigger jobs, or for neighbors, dog sitting, that kind of thing. And along the way, they were also expected to do certain work around the house, certain jobs around the house, just because they're part of the family. We, we have some friends in our small group that have another system that, that's worked really well for them. Uh, they have five kids all still at home, And they have a system where they have three different types of jobs for the kids. They have mandatory for-pay jobs, mandatory for no-pay jobs, and then optional for-pay jobs. So a mandatory no-pay job might be making your bed every day. A mandatory for-pay job might be clearing the dishwasher. And an optional for-pay job might be doing some yard work. And then there's latitude within that, that if they... If, if a kid maybe is required to empty the dishwasher, but they have to be asked three or four times, well, now that mandatory four-pay job might become mandatory for less pay or mandatory for no pay. And so, you know, parents need to find a system that works for them. Some people say, well, that's so complicated. Some some parents have chalkboards in the kitchen. They keep track of different things. You need to find a system that works for you. And then the important thing is to implement it with consistency. But again, keep the big picture in mind. We want kids to have some money. We want to find a system that's going to work for our family that gets money in kids' hands so that they can start to do some real world things with money. 
And we want to use money as both a reward and kind of an incentive punishment, if you will, for doing a job either well or, or not so well. We want them to connect money with a job well done. Right. You're making me think about our son and his mandatory four-pay job of cleaning the dog messes out of the backyard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's probably his least favorite way to make money. But <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, that's what we've, we've typically, he has his allowance and then he, you know, sees something that he, he wants that uh, he'd have to save for for quite some time. So that, then he comes and he wants a, an advance and we're kind of like, I guess you have to get creative on, on ways. And it has, you know, it takes quite a bit to get him to want to do that outside job for yeah. extra pay. But And that's where the gatekeeper role comes in because, right, kids might ask for an advance on next week's allowance or they might ask you just to pay for it. And, and hey, you know, f- when kids are super young, it's it's so easy for us to just buy this or that because it isn't that expensive, but we do them no favors when we do. We really need to encourage them, make it kind of a requirement that, that there are certain things you're going to have to save for over time that will build such a great financial habit into their lives and that'll build a great character trait of delayed gratification, which is a hugely important character trait. Yeah, for sure. You know, we touched on this a little bit, the idea that, you know, on unfortunately too often in our culture, our kids, and we are looked as consumers and, um, you know, our kids are bombarded with marketing that is constantly sending the message that they need more. So what's one way that we as parents can show our kids God's way of contentment, of patience, of self-control with their money? Right. Gratitude is one real key because you're right. The culture, the message in so many ways in our culture is you don't have enough and even you're not enough. And that's a real, those are some really detrimental messages that we're just surrounded by. It's just in the air we breathe in, in this culture. We don't even notice it anymore, which makes it even more powerful and more effective and more dangerous. And so, so gratitude is, is one key antidote to the messages of our consumer culture. If we, as we pray with our kids, and we're giving thanks for various things as we're giving thanks over over the dinner table. Encourage your kids on a regular basis to join in the prayers of, of Thanksgiving. And what is it you're thankful for? Let's remember all the good things that are in our lives, all the things that we can so easily take for granted. Gratitude is is one of the, the most powerful antidotes to, to our consumer culture. Yeah, and thinking about culture, I mean, if we look around at the corruption and the poverty everywhere. I mean, it's pretty clear that financial issues are so deeply rooted in our culture. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I think part of it is that we don't have a lot of training in this area. I mean, schools typically don't teach on this, although more and more are starting to. But even those that do, they can only go so far because you can talk about the theory of savings and the benefits of savings in a classroom. But but we as parents can take our kids to a bank or a credit union and and open a savings account with them and for them and and encourage them to do things that are real world with money. So I think part of it is, is a lack of education. And then another part of it really does go back to that word we've talked about a couple of times here in this conversation of consumer and the consumer culture. I've I've studied the history of our consumer culture. It goes back to the early 1900s when so many things changed in our world. People moved in mass from from the country to the city. Uh, Mass production came into being. Mass marketing came into being. And now we live in this culture where there's just so much messaging around stuff and and linking it to our happiness. And so, so there too, as parents, we have this opportunity 
to teach a biblical worldview, you know, the, the consumer worldview versus the steward or manager, or as I like to say, the wise builder from the parable of the wise and the foolish builders, that worldview is very different than the consumer worldview. I mean, if, you, if you're a consumer, then you, you know, if, if I'm a consumer, then I'm the most important person in the world. You know, life is about my pleasure and my comfort and my happiness. But but God's word says that God is the most important in the world. And so so our lives are really about God, not about us. You know, the consumer culture teaches us that that money and things bring happiness, whereas God's word teaches us that it's relationships. And and the consumer culture teaches us that that we live in competition to have ever more. That's that's the constant striving. We need more. We live by comparison instead of in in some sort of absolute sense. We always need more than we used to have, more than our neighbor has. Whereas God's word teaches us that life is not about competition, but it's really about contribution. And so, so you know, these are harder heart lessons to teach. You know, that's why sometimes, I don't know if you guys can relate to this, but I find when I start writing about stuff like that, you know, you know a blog post about how to save $20 on your grocery bill every month, that'll light things up. People are all about that. But if you start teaching about heart issues, it's more difficult to get people engaged in that. So that's why, again, it's so important for parents to start to engage their kids in these issues. When when your young son or young daughter is, is sorting socks, helping you learn a diligent work ethic, we're teaching them Hey, you know, we're we're actually working for the Lord here. We're we're teaching them from Colossians, you know, three that 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 in everything you do, do it do it with all your heart is working for the Lord, not for human masters. And, and we're ingraining in them that biblical worldview. It's just it's just so important because the forces of the consumer culture are so strong. Yeah, they are. And I don't think it's even all about, you know, hey, if you go buy this thing or have this experience, you're going to be happy. I think, you know, as a culture, we are experiencing a lot of pain, a lot of fear, a lot of um, depression and anxiety at younger and younger ages all the time. And it's kind of joked about this idea of retail therapy. But I think that there is that pull. Like I have these negative emotions and these these burdens that really can only be satisfied and healed in the Lord. But the culture would say, you know, you can appease those by spending or getting or whatever. So how do you right. see that? Yeah, well, there there too, we need to have conversations with our kids. I and mean, one, one of the greatest joys I think any parent will experience, especially as kids start to get older, is an open line of communication. If we can somehow foster that open line of communication about so many topics, but when it comes to this particular topic, it's about where are you drawing your identity? Because social media is the comparison game just magnified to the nth degree. And it's so easy to slip into that and start to believe that, that, that you know, so-and-so has this, and so now I'm going to feel discouraged about it. But there's some research that, that ties the rise of social media um, among middle school age students and, and the availability of it on phones to the rise in things like you're talking about, anxiety and depression, and, and even worse, suicide and self other you know, forms of self-harm short of suicide. There's there's something going on, and I think it, a lot of it does have to do with this comparison game that we're all prone to playing. And there's something that seems to be hardwired in us to live by comparison. And so if we can bathe our hearts in the truth of God's word, if we can write God's word on our children's hearts where there's just not room in their hearts for the lies of the consumer culture, we, we would do 
so much good for our kids. That's great because I, you know, I think when I was growing up, the best we could do was, uh, you know, the catalog, but we couldn't right. <laughs> put those in our pockets, you know. But now we, as consumers, have our our catalog with us in our pockets all the time, telling us yeah. that we need more, and and so that's why you know you address some of those things in your your book and and challenge us and encourage us to you know think those as part of kind of this whole process of of teaching our kids of, of money and things. We have to have those discussions too, don't we, about limiting those times and and how those start forming some of those those um, habits and some of those thinking that maybe aren't biblical in us too. So I appreciate that. I'm going to, I'm going to take the conversation a little bit different direction okay. because I think that, you know, the Bible also makes it clear that we're also very, we all can be tempted to choose legalism over grace. And so sometimes we can get so attached to our goals, our financial goals that we ignore those who are in need right in front of us, or we we beat ourselves up because we carry so much shame for the money mistakes we've made in the past or the mm-hmm. debt that we can't seem to, to get ahead of. So how can we keep our money management from becoming rigid and all about the rules? Um, how do we find that balance? Yeah, well, and I think it's, it's not either or. I think it's both and, where we learn God's principles. You know, the, God's word doesn't teach us about Roth IRAs versus traditional IRAs, and it doesn't tell us, you know, exactly what percentage to save, for example, and that sort of thing. So we, we need to rely on some trustworthy counselors. But, but I think, I think it's both. I think it's, it's we learn the principles and we learn, we get some wise counsel about debt, for example, or, you know, how much to spend on a house or a car or clothes or a vacation. But we're also led by the Holy Spirit and guided by the Holy Spirit. It's really a miraculous thing that God lives within us. We we can't, at least I can't, fully understand that. I know it's true, but that's a miraculous thing. And and I think sometimes we don't avail ourselves of that of that resource, if you will, enough. You know, we're making maybe practical decisions or, like you said, decisions out of shame or of guilt and not looking to God's forgiveness and God's grace and God's mercy and God's goodness. You know, the life is not just about, you know, don't touch and, and don't don't have and, and it's not all of this negative orientation. There's so many wonderful things we can do with money. You know, the, the joy of generosity is is real. When we when we give there's such a joy in doing that. And even really practical things, you know, you know, not that giving isn't practical, but I mean, maybe more mundane things like saving money or investing money or making a wise spending decision. You know, God treats us as his children. He says we are. If we've placed our faith in Christ and we're children of God, which is another miraculous thing, he wants good things for us. You know, what do we want for our kids? We want them to be happy and healthy and and finding their way and making good decisions. And, And the same is true in his relationship with us. And so I think it's both. I think I think we need the parameters, we need the guidelines, we need to know where the boundaries are in certain of these decisions. You know, we could we could take a look more specifically at biblical teaching on giving, for example. But but people, you know, giving 10%, for example, is a radical thing. Even many, many, many regular church-going Christians are not giving at that level. And yet there are many who do give at that level, and yet it's become a and so on, on one hand it seems super generous. And it is in, in a worldly sense. And yet, is that because of rules and regulation? Or do we feel God's pleasure in that? Do we feel God's grace in that? Do we feel empowered to give 
by the spirit instead of just this kind of check mark. Okay, I hit that threshold, and so now I'm good. So, so I think it's I think it's both. We need to, some the guidelines, but we need God's grace and we need God's wisdom. Yeah, I like that. I you know as you were talking, I was just thinking, yeah, how amazing it is that even God entrusts us with with so much and is so kind and generous that way that. You know, he could just say, hey, it's all mine and I'll give it when I feel it. But the fact that he does allow us to partner with him, I guess, in that stewardship process is amazing. And then it just, as I was thinking that, I was thinking, you know, this is a real practical way that if we do bring our kids into those conversations and do teach them that way, that we can bring that side of God to the conversation because we, in a sense, are entrusting them with our money as we hand it to them and say, and what are you going to do with this to help them learn how to handle money? And so it's kind of that same principle that God does with us. So you kind of yeah. enlighten me there a bit. Yeah, and I love what you were saying about gratitude and, and giving and the joy of that. And you were making me think about my son. I have to say that he's probably the most cheerful giver that I know, and I just love that about him. But awesome. it's gotten to the point where I have to pack an extra cookie in his lunchbox gifts. If I just pack one, he's not getting a cookie because he's going <laughs> to give it away. So I, I love, love that. that. I'm like, you know, that's actually a good example for me. Like, am I keeping kind of a, you know, what's the cookie that I'm keeping in my <laughs> lunchbox of my life that I'm always ready to give away? I just, I love right. that about him. But do you have that's any awesome. tips for how to kind of cultivate generosity in younger kids? Yeah. I mean, it can start with something like that. I mean, I love that. And and so having an awareness that, that you're looking around, and you're seeing a kid in need or a kid that would be blessed by, by you sharing with them. You know, there are, it, it kind of goes back to what we were just talking about, about sort of the guidelines and parameters, but then the joy and the freedom. And so some of the parents that I talked to for the book, they talked about this lifestyle of generosity where, yes, there's a place to teach them that the Bible teaches us that we are to give generously, that we are designing God's image. And so when we give, we're, we're giving, we're, we're simply living in concert with our, with our God-given design. And the Bible says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits, the first portion, a choice portion of all that you, all that you produce. So there's a place for that sort of teaching, but I love this idea of a lifestyle of generosity because in the way that we live our lives out loud in front of our kids, that will have the greatest impact on them in so many ways, including financially. And so some parents talked about, hey, we just want our kids to see that when somebody is sick, we're making them a meal. We're sending them a card. We're entering into their world in a generous way. I talked with another family where they noticed that one of the bus stops in a neighborhood not far from where they lived was always overgrown and strewn with litter. They adopted that bus stop. They mowed the lawn. They picked up the trash. They took care of it. There was this orientation toward generosity. Some parents talked about always having something to share conversation-wise at the dinner table. They talked about teaching their kids how to welcome other people into their home graciously. There are just th these, these sorts of ways of being. Another couple talked about how it's so common for, for parents to, to, to worry about our kids' safety and pray for their safety. And, that, and that's right and good. There's a place for that. But she was motivated to pray differently, to pray for courage and, and boldness in her kids. And when you go to school, look around the cafeteria. Is there a kid sitting by themselves? Maybe you 
go sit with that child. That is an act of generosity. And so it's so much bigger than money. Money is important and giving generously is important. But this lifestyle of generosity, I think, is just infectious and just gets into a, a young person's way of looking at life. Yeah, it, it can sometimes, and again, especially in the consumer culture that we live in, sometimes it can be easier to think, I'll throw money at that. And that's the easy way, right? But sometimes I love that you're expanding that out, that a lot of times generosity is is goes about opening our homes and opening our hearts and reaching out to people as much as the money side of it, um, although that is important too. But okay, so maybe a mom or dad is listening today and they feel that their finances are a total mess and they don't know how to pay down their debt and they don't know if they can pay their, their bills from month to month and they're feeling stressed and maybe even feeling a little hopeless and uh, about their situation. What are some of the first steps they can take right now to begin putting their finances in order. Yeah, so important. And because I've also heard from parents that that feel like they're in a situation like you're describing there. And so they feel like they don't have credibility to be able to talk to their kids about money if, if their finances aren't quite straight. So for one thing, none of us ever get the money thing completely right. We're always learning, always growing. But for those that are that are especially that are struggling, and even for those that aren't, I want people to know that the first portion of every really practical chapter in the book speaks to the parents because of the fact that we're always learning, always growing, and because of the fact that that being a role model is a good and helpful thing. But for those that are struggling, you can be authentic about that with, with kids. I mean, maybe not a you know three-year-old, you don't want to worry them about the household finances, but at a certain age, you can you can be honest with with a kid, with a middle school kid or a high school kid, and say, "Look, mom and dad have, have are just coming to realize that that the debt that we have is not really a good thing." And the Bible doesn't call debt a sin, but it speaks against the the, the dangers. It speaks about the dangers of debt, and so we're in process here of of getting ourselves out of debt, and we want to teach you about debt and kind of warn you about debt and and maybe how to use credit constructively and 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 that sort of thing. So it's okay to be a little bit authentic about it, but but I'll tell you, I once had twenty thousand dollars of credit card debt, so I know what it feels like to be struggling with money. That was a very challenging time for me, and typically it takes time to get into debt, get into some financial trouble. It will typically take some time to get out, and uh, so I just encourage people to make radical decisions if they need to. I I know parents who have sold homes because the house is usually the most expensive item in a person's budget and move to a far less expensive situation might have been embarrassing might have been disruptive might have been very difficult in many ways but they made that radical decision out of a commitment to get to a better place financially and wow what a legacy that would leave what a story that would leave for future generations of the radical thing people did it's going to take a lot of swimming upstream and it may take some time but again there's some really practical helps in the book for people that are struggling with debt for example because that's a common thing that many many people are struggling with that's a big help yeah and you're right you mentioned how the holy spirit is just such a loving guide for us and even in that just to ask him what are those radical changes that you're asking us to make and then i know there's been times that we've even prayed about life decisions with our kids and yeah. and their chance to see God actually answer 
and move right. the family in different yeah. directions, I think has probably accomplished more than anything Rob and I could have just said. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that so yeah, yeah, I love that. One other really practical thing for people, whether you're struggling or not, I, I'm a huge believer in the use of a budget. I know that word is you know, makes people crazy. Sometimes people hate the idea. I call it a cash flow plan to try to take the edge off, but it is what it is. It's a budget. It it is so incredibly helpful to to get your finances down on paper to see how much income is coming in, how much can we allocate to this and that. If we've got debt, how can we reorient some of the more discretionary items like entertainment or vacations or clothing to to flow more resource, resources toward debt? A budget. If people don't use one now, I couldn't urge them more strong, you know, strongly enough to, to start to use one because that is one of the most practical tools for getting your finances running in, a, in an efficient and effective way. Yeah, it was kind of fun to see our daughter's experience with that when she was a college student and on a very limited budget as a student. <laughs> and she found an online budget tool for her phone and it was dramatic, just the changes yeah. in her life and how she's coming out the other side of school in such a better place than she could have expected. So yeah, you're right. A budget is a great tool. Yeah, and Rob and I just really wanted to thank you again for all the that you put into your book, Trusted. And um, I know that after the podcast, everybody is going to want to go and find their own copy. But until then, and before we wrap up, is there any one last thing that you hope readers take away from what's in your book today? I, I hope they're encouraged because I think you're right that there are a lot of people struggling with money. And so I want people to be encouraged and not overwhelmed by this and encouraged to enter into conversations with their kids about this because it's so vitally important and you don't have to have your finances in perfect shape in order to open up those conversations with your kids about this. So I would encourage them to, to know that they are the best person for the job. Some people say, oh, how can I connect with my kids on this topic? You are the best person for this job. So like so many things in life, taking that first step of just beginning, of just accepting the idea of, of opening up conversation with your kids, you'll be amazed at all the good you can bring about through God's help in, in taking on that journey. Oh, that's great. Thanks for that, Matt. You know, I was hoping that maybe you could spend a minute and just pray for uh, the folks listening today that, that they can grow in their understanding of God's principle for money and then sure. also grow in how to share that with their kids as well. Yeah, I would love to. Thank you for that opportunity. Heavenly Father, um, we are so grateful. I'm so grateful that your word says so much about this topic. It's just such a practical resource in this. I pray that you would give us the wisdom to look first into your word and what it teaches and help us to to really embrace those teachings as countercultural as they may be. I want to pray for parents listening to this that that no matter what their situation, they personally can get to a better place with money through your help and through your guidance. I pray you'd bring additional resources to bear, whether they're connected to a church that might have a stewardship ministry that could be a help to them if they need some additional help and encouragement on this journey. And I pray that you would encourage parents to engage their kids in this topic because not only is their financial future so important to their life, but of course their relationship with you is so vitally important. And money as you teach is so wrapped up in our walk with you. So please give parents encouragement to engage in this conversation with their kids, give them your wisdom and lead their kids to a good place um, in their use of money. Lord, thanks for your goodness. Thanks for this opportunity for this conversation with Rob and Joanna today. And uh, we're just grateful for your goodness toward us. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for that, Matt. You know, I know everybody's going to want to learn more about your book and also the video trainings that you've created and your podcast. Where's the best place for us to connect with you and your resources online? Yeah, thanks for that. So I'd say a couple of places. I mean, my, my personal blog is at um, mattaboutmoney.com is my personal blog. And there's a lot of resources there that people can avail themselves of. And then my day job is with soundmindinvesting.com, also a Christian company. So there are other uh, free resources people can avail themselves of there. And the new book, Trusted, is available wherever you get your books, Amazon, christianbook.com, those sorts of places. Uh, it's great. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Matt. We uh, It was really encouraging and helpful, so we appreciate it. Well, thank you, Rob and Joanna. I really appreciate the work you guys do. Thanks for the opportunity to be on with you guys today. Yeah, and thank you, friends, for joining us on the Growing Home Together podcast. Uh, Rob and I would love to meet you over on our website at growinghometogether.com. You're going to find all kinds of resources and free downloads to help you pray for your kids, laugh and connect with each other, and grow closer as a couple. At Growing Home Together, we're caring for the soul of your family. And growing home together with you. Bye. Bye.